Welcome to the Riley and Gimme Show. I hope you're not suffering from Triskaidekaphobia. Our very own Gimme, I think, might suffer from Triskaidekaphobia. I'm not quite certain. Do you have that fear, Kimmy? Do you know what Triskaidekaphobia is? Yes, I do. And what is it? The fear of the number 13. That's correct. And being Friday the 13th, we thought we'd be cute opening up the show. There's no reason to be scared. No. Not at all. We're here uh-uh. to get you away from everything. Positive talk and memories. That's what we're about. We are the Riley and Kimmy Show. Right next to me is Kimmy, who is not afraid of the number 13. No. So will you do things 13 times and stuff like that? Or are you afraid to be on the 13th floor? If you have a no. hotel room and it's on the 13th floor, do you say, I, I, I'd like a different floor, please? Mm-mm. You don't have any of those phobias. Mm-mm. None. Nope. Do you ever know anybody that did? Oh, yeah. Was anybody related to you? Oh, yeah. And you didn't inherit any of that? No. Mm-hmm. I, I worked with one of those. as you We won't name him Keith. Uh, he was a vice president <laughs> of programming in Chicagoland. And Keith, who we won't name, was scared to death of 13, anything, uh, you know, black cats and all kinds of stuff like that. Ladders. And, oh, and, yeah. He, he, yeah. He would try to, well, he'd have me fill in for him when he could on the 13th because I was his assistant. 13th, pop around. It's Friday the 13th. Definitely, he'd say, hey, I'm taking a sick day, and I'd be filling in. Mm. And he didn't like just the day 13. If it was Thursday the 13th or whatever the 13th, but Friday the 13th was the ultimate freakout for him. Mm. I have a feeling right now he is hiding under his bed. Yeah. He's got his lucky rabbit's foot and, <laughs> and, and his four-leaf clover. <laughs> Probably has a ring of salt around the uh, the bed. Yeah. Mm. Hi, Keith. By the way, thank you for listening to the Riley and Kimmy Show. We offer daily pop culture escapism, and we don't make fun of people unless we really know you, and then we might just kind of, you know, do a little thing in jest, right, Kimmy? Yeah. It's now time for your chance to play along with Kimmy, and it is Pop Culture Trivia Time. And the Pop Culture Trivia Nostalgia computer just handed me the card. Very first category, Kimmy, is television. All right. Matter of fact, it's cartoons. Okay, even better. The year 1969, Hanna-Barbera debuts this cartoon. Can you identify it? Can you identify that mystery cartoon? Scooby-Doo. Where are you? We got some work to do We'll let you get by with that. It is uh, officially Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? Huh? 
Yeah. Want a Scooby snack, Kimmy? Since you got that right. Uh huh. What network aired it originally? ABC. It was a CBS show, Kimmy. Oh. The year's 1975. This TV show it debuts on this date. Let's see if you can identify it. Its theme actually became a top 40 hit. Can you identify the TV show? The Rockford Files. Now you're from Rockford. Did uh, that song? Did it get played in things around your hometown community? Did it like? Did they embrace that song? That TV show? Mm, not especially that I can recall. Well, they're kind of slow there in Rockford. Yeah. I can say that I lived there for a while. Uh huh. Kimmy was fond of her hometown. I was not. Moving along, the year is 1990. This TV show, it uh, has its debut. Identify it. Can you identify that TV show? Law and Order? You're correct. Moving up 15 years. This show debuts. Identify it. Can you identify the mystery TV show that premiered on the state 2005? It is the longest-running North American fantasy show. Supernatural? You're right. Celebrities, notables, famous people born on this date in history. She's, well, most known for this TV series. She was part of the original cast back in the 1960s. Identify the TV show. Can you identify that mystery TV show? Mission Impossible. That's correct. She was part of the IMF team, the original crew, Kimmy. She was the original set. Can you tell us her name? Here she is talking about the character she played and how it came to be. Well, first of all, Bruce Geller, who uh, created Cinnamon Carter, uh, as you know by the name, he wanted a kind of sweet spice. That was what he said. She was not named when I first went aboard, as they say. Uh, she was uh, the, the girl. And he told me later that he actually inadvertently had written me in. He wanted the girl to be uh, a kind of different kind of combination of things that was at that time kind of common in Hollywood, which was either you were the girl next door or you were the wild woman sex symbol. He wanted both. Oh. And uh, for some reason, that seemed to be, I seemed to qualify. Given that, um, he wrote it in and then had some difficulty casting me because I was unknown and they sent everybody that was around the city to go in and see him. And he very quietly kept asking me to come in. So I must have gone in 26 times at least. The final approval had to come from Lucille Ball because she owned the show. She was developing it for television, and uh, I had to go in and see her. So I walked in. She took a look at me. She looked at me head to toe. Looks okay to me, she said. <laughs> that was it. 
<laughs> so I looked okay to her and walked out of there with the roll. Can you identify that voice? Oh, boy. Um, is it Barbara something? It is Barbara something. I'm going through all these Barbaras, and they're Who all was her the wrong husband names. at the time of Mission Impossible? Um, it's, of course, it's um, her co-star. Of Mission Impossible and another TV show they starred together. What was that other show? It was a sci-fi show. Um... Battlestar Galactica? No. Mm-hmm. What was it, Kimmy? Space 1999? That's correct. She and he were part of Space 1999. His name, Martin Landau. What is her mm-hmm. name? Martin Landau and Barbara Bain? That, no. is, that is correct, it Kimmy. Is? How oh. old, yeah, how old is Barbara Bain today within two years? Um, 88. You got it exactly right. Next birthday person, David Clayton Thomas, celebrating his 78th birthday. He's a singer-musician, Grammy Award-winning musician, I should point out, and singer and songwriter. Best known as lead vocalist of this band. Identify the band. What goes up must come down. Spinning wheel got to go. Number two song from the Billboard Hot 100 in 1969. I'm surprised Once Upon a Time in Hollywood did not have that song in there that I'm aware of playing anywhere in the background. Can you identify the band? Who was David Clayton Thomas part of? Matter of fact, he wrote that song. I don't know. Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Next individual, born 1948. Best known for this TV series from 1981 to 1987. She sang the theme song. Can you tell us the name of the TV show? Now I know what it takes. I'm putting a new face on the old one. Ready for anything. Playing with fate. Not a moment too late. Showing the whole world that they can get me down. Ooh, ooh. Can you identify the mystery TV show? Give me a break. I mean, can you identify who that is? Who starred on the show? Who sang the theme? Nell Carter. That's correct. Next individual celebrating her 42nd birthday. Singer, musician. She has sold over 10 million albums worldwide. Her biggest hit was this. It hit number 21 on the Hot 100. Tell us who it is. was her biggest hit. Can you identify who is celebrating a birthday today? Mm, no. Fiona 
Does that help? Apple? Yes, Fiona Apple. Kimmy, you did a fantastic job on this Friday the 13th. Thank you. We're going to shine the spotlight on somebody we left off of trivia. Actress Claudette Colbert was born on this date in 1903. She was no stranger to the golden age of radio. We have a fantastic example of her work during that time period. She co-stars with Jeff Chandler in Tomorrow is Forever on The Riley and Kimmy Show. November 5th, 1918, the Western Front. No, no, Dr. Ludwig, please, the letter. But, Lieutenant, you do not understand. When our German patrol picked you up on the battlefield, there was no identification on you but this letter. Give it to me. You must certainly realize that your wife will be told you are dead. You call this being alive, Doctor? My body shattered, my face, what there is left of it, a horror? There is such a thing as plastic surgery. Tell us who you are so that we can notify your wife. And for this fragment of a life, destroy her life? No. Now give me back her letter. Of course. Elizabeth. Elizabeth. It was over at last. November 11th, 1918, and the nations were dancing in the streets. The First World War was over. We all stood at the windows of the Hamilton Chemical Works, watching the marches and the revelers go by. I stood alone with my own thoughts. And then the kindly voice of Larry Hamilton, junior partner in the company, was at my elbow. Well, Mrs. MacDonald, you're taking the armistice very calmly. Calmly? Oh, I'm so excited, I, I can hardly breathe. Your husband will be coming home from France soon. Yes, he, he's only been over since August, but it seems years. Oh, now he'll be coming home. Very soon, I think. I always knew he would. Lucky man. I went home in a haze of gladness to find the telegram under the door. Mrs. John A. MacDonald, 146 George Street, Baltimore, Maryland. Deeply regret to inform you that Lieutenant John A. MacDonald, 346th Infantry, is officially reported killed in action November 5th night John he couldn't be dead no no not John he said he'd come back he promised I remember that day he had come home and locked himself in his room he had a surprise for me uh, he don't said. you dare come in Elizabeth I have a surprise for you now, now stand back this is a rather unusual outfit. It needs a certain perspective. All right, here I come, ready or not. Ta-da! John. <laughs> How do you like it? A uniform. Well, 
Don't take it that way, sweetheart. Oh, you you should have warned me. Oh, you knew I had to get into this war? Yes, but... No, no, don't I... worry. I, <laughs> I've got that army tied hand and foot. I can't make a move without their permission. Oh, darling, I'm going to miss you. Oh, miss me, but, but don't be scared. Promise me you'll come back. Promise not to forget me. Darling. Oh, I'll come back. Count on it. I promise you. I'll come back. I promise you. I promise you. John didn't come back. I went back to the chemical plant, comforted by my work and by the knowledge that even though John was dead somewhere in France, his immortality was assured. I was going to have his baby. It was like a secret, a final confidence between us. And I kept the secret until the day I fainted at my desk at the factory. Larry Hamilton had them take me to his own lovely home where his Aunt Jessie could look after me. And there, surrounded by friends and tenderness, I awaited my child. But before the baby, something else arrived. Larry brought home a package and put it in my lap for me to open. Aunt Jessie picked this up at your home today, Elizabeth. Came in the mail. Oh, that's very kind of her. Here, let me cut those strings for you. Hmm? There. Have a good day? Oh, I've had a wonderful day. Your aunt has... That package, I should have known what it was. Give it to me. No. No, it's all right. I want to see it. Here are some letters I wrote to John, undelivered. I gave him this cigarette case the night before he sailed... You see, we'd had a week together in New York to say goodbye and to plan the future. Now there's no future to plan. Yes, sir. No, not for John. A man's child is his future. That's what frightens me. If anything should happen, it isn't just another baby being born. It's John. John's life going on. If anything happened to John's child, it would be like John dying all over again. That must never happen. Elizabeth, after the baby is born, surely you won't go back to that lonely house of yours again. It wasn't always lonely. I know it's meant a lot to you. That's why you shouldn't go back there. I've another house in mind for you. For sale or rent? You know what house I mean, Elizabeth. Oh, I I knew you'd say this someday, Larry. You've been so good to me, I, I can't even talk about it. That's why I've got to be honest with you. I'll never love anybody else the way I love John. I understand that. Let me think about it, please. Larry and I were married. My son was born, and we named him Andrew. Drew for short. 1919... And the NC-4 spanning the Atlantic Ocean, bringing Europe closer. 1927, the spirit of St. Louis, non-stop New York to Paris, and the continents came closer. A shrinking world, and a little man with a mustache. Today, Germany, tomorrow, the world. Appeasement and the failure of appeasement. Invasion. My son, Drew, was 20 years old. Well, Mother, this certainly looks like it. What do you mean, Drew, this looks like it? The Second World War. 
This war certainly seems much closer than the last one. It may be closer, Larry, but we're not in it. I don't see how we can keep out of it, Mother. Well, perhaps Europe wants us to see it that way again, but I don't. Drew, I'll have none of Europe and its quarrels. Well, that poses a nice problem for you, Elizabeth. I've asked our new chemist to come to dinner here tomorrow to discuss plans for our new plastics division. The one who came over from England? Yes. Is he frightfully British? Frightfully Austrian and rather frightfully crippled. An accident? From the last war. Was he in the German army? Austrian. Well, they both fought against us. Mother, that was 20 years ago. It seems only yesterday to me, and nothing has changed, only the weapons. I, I wish you didn't take that attitude toward the war, Mother. It makes what I've got to say very hard. What is it, Drew? I... I want to join the RAF. The what? The Royal Air Force. You join up in Canada and get your training there. Drew, what do you know about war? You want to be a hero. Do you know what happens to heroes? They die. I remember the last war. I know something about war. You don't. Drew, it's late. I'll talk to you in the morning. All right, Father. Good night, Mother. I won't let him go, Larry. You don't feel the same way I do. He isn't your son. Elizabeth. And we're not at war. If anything happened to Drew, it, it would be John dying all over again. After all these years. I'm sorry, darling. I... I just couldn't live through it again. Oh, talk to him, Larry. Please, make him understand. The next evening was the evening of dinner with Mr. Kessler. Promptly at 7.30, the doorbell rang. I came down the stairs just as Mr. Kessler was coming in. He looked up and saw me. He fumbled for his glasses and peered up at me. That broken man, his warped body leaning on a cane. His beard only partially hid the scars of plastic surgery. He looked up at me and I looked down for a moment, strangely suspended in time. And then Larry came into the room and broke the curious spell. Kessler, nice to see you. Elizabeth, this is Mr. Kessler. Oh, how do you do? I'm very glad you could come, Mr. Kessler. A drink before dinner, Kessler? Oh, thank you. Come along. I want you to meet our son before dinner. You you have a son? Almost 21. Almost 21. He must have been born during the last war. April 1919. Yes. Yes, what, what a tremendous thing it is to, to have a son. You have just heard Act One of Tomorrow is Forever, starring Claudette Colbert and presented by RCA Victor. Now, back to the Screen Director's Playhouse production of Tomorrow is Forever, starring Claudette Colbert with Jeff Chandler. After that first night, Mr. Kessler was a frequent visitor, working with Larry in the study, talking with Drew, whom he seemed to admire profoundly, 
And rather wistfully, I thought. The war went on. There was no further talk of Drew's joining the RAF. And then one evening, we had Mr. Kessler over for dinner again. Drew seemed rather quiet. I wondered if he was well. He looks in the pink to me. I can vouch for your son's spirits, Mrs. Hamilton. We, we had a most animated conversation before dinner again. You always do. Mr. Kessler and I think a lot alike. Mr. Kessler thinks the Nazis mean to swallow the whole world, a bite at a time. Oh. That's what he and I were talking about tonight, wasn't it, Mr. Kessler? Uh, ideas, ideologies, that's all. And did Drew also tell you he wants to join the RAF? Oh, no. Well, I would have said nothing to influence him. Don't blame Mr. Kessler. A man has to make up his own mind, and I've made up mine. Excuse me, Mother. Father. Drew, you're not leaving the table like that. I'm sorry, Mother. Drew! I better talk to him, Elizabeth. Sorry, Kessler. Drew! Oh, I, I'm very sorry, Mrs. Hamilton. I, I will go. No, Mr. Kessler. Wait. I think you should know that I was married before and that my first husband was killed in the last war. Drew is his son. Perhaps that will help you to understand how I feel. It, it's as though something was saying, we'll give you a little rest between blows, but only enough to make sure that you're conscious and able to feel the next one. We won't start another war until your son is just old enough to be killed. If that should happen again... Well, I, I wish I could help. You can't. You can only make it worse. Every time I look at you, I think to myself... A man like you killed my husband. That's very true. I know I'm being rude to you. Now I'm going to be ruder still. Mr. Kessler, I'd rather you didn't come here anymore. You bring something into this house that is unwelcome. Forgive me, Mrs. Hamilton. I'll go. The moment he was gone, I was sorry. I'd seen the terrible hurt in his ravaged face. And watching that stricken man tottering out of the house, a great pity overwhelmed me and shame for what I'd done. And something else. Something that for the first time in 21 years made me want to visit the old house, vacant now, where John and I had once lived. December 20th. It was a bleak, unfriendly day. I sat down on the stone steps to be alone with the past, to listen to dim, beloved voices out of yesterday, to dream. Mrs. Hamilton. Yes, John? Mrs. Hamilton, this is Kessler. Hmm? Oh, oh, Mr. Kessler. Are you ill? Let me take you home. No, I, I'm all right. I used to live in this house. I, I see. This is where I once said goodbye to my husband before he went to war. I didn't have the slightest doubt he'd come home. Not one little doubt. Do you come here often? This is the first time since I left it 21 years ago. Oh, is this some occasion? December 20th, our wedding anniversary. It's a long time to remember. That means nothing to you, December 20th? Why should it? John said he'd come back. He promised. Oh, they all said that on both sides, but, but some of them couldn't keep that promise. But suppose he didn't die. Suppose that all these years he's been alive 
not wanting to come back to me because of something that happens, some terrible, heartbreaking wound that made him ashamed to show himself to me. That would have been so wrong of him, you know, so cruel. Why do you torture yourself so? You, you have a husband now who is devoted to you. You have a fine son. You have a good life. You should keep it so. Why are you here? This house is far out of your way. And I, I, I was... I was passing by from the public library, these, these books. Why didn't you use the library at the plant? Well, these books are German. But the plant's German collection is better than the public libraries, and you know it. You're lying to me. You are John MacDonald. I am Eric Kessler, an Austrian chemist. All my life I have worked at my profession, except for a few years when I, I was a good soldier. I've told you who I am. Goodbye, Mrs. Hamilton. Hamilton Laboratory, Kessler speaking. Mr. Kessler, is my husband in the laboratory with you? Well, Mr. Hamilton is in a meeting with some British purchasing agents. It'll last all night, I'm afraid. Drew has disappeared. Drew? I think he may be off to Canada to enlist. Well, I I'll do what I can. Oh, please. Goodbye, Mrs. Hamilton. In a cold, unseasonable downpour, drenched and shivering... Mr. Kessler brought home my son. Drew went to his room to sulk and to change his sodden clothes. I gave Mr. Kessler brandy and made him warm himself before the fire. I had a small rosewood box in my lap. I waited for Mr. Kessler to speak first. <coughs> oh, it's a very bad night, Mrs. Hamilton. How did you know Drew was at the railroad station? Well, I, I opened the note he left on Mr. Hamilton's desk. It wasn't addressed to you. To father. <coughs> so you opened it and you read it. Mr. Kessler, I have some things in this box I want you to look at. Begin with this cigarette case. Take it. Read the inscription. <coughs> to... John from Elizabeth, with all my love. Do you remember? Why should I? Open the case. That picture inside is me, as I was 21 years ago. It's very beautiful. That's what you said when you gave it to me. Oh, John, why didn't you come back? You promised you would. Was it because you'd been so terribly hurt? Because you were afraid I'd turn from you. Didn't you know how I needed you? Needed to help you no matter what happened to you. As long as you were alive. John, don't you remember how I loved you? Don't you remember the nights we sat before the fire like this in our own house? I had my head in your lap like this. Oh, don't. Remember? You used to take my face like this and put it up to yours. Look at me, John, and tell me you don't want me back. Say it. 
Do you think any man in his senses would... <laughs> would want to give back this shattered body to a woman and, and destroy the memory of 20 years? John. If I were your husband, if I had come back, that is what I would say. Your life was once all but destroyed by a war. You are terrified it will be destroyed again, so you look for refuge in the past. And the past with its good and its bad is beyond our reach. It, it's gone, all gone. We must forget it. You and I? The world. We must live for tomorrow. Because tomorrow is forever. And you have your husband, your son, your life. Larry Hamilton is your husband, no other man. What shall I do about Drew? I brought him home, so you could tell him he might follow his conscience as he wishes. Thank you. <coughs> Goodbye, Mrs. Hamilton. In the morning, I thought Mr. Kessler could see Drew off at the airport. I went to his apartment. Our family friend, Dr. Callan, answered the door. Oh, Mrs. Hamilton, good morning. Dr. Callan, what are you doing here? I... don't you know? Weren't you notified? Mr. Kessler? Yes. Pneumonia. His heart. He died this morning. I pushed past him and into the bare, chilly room. I stopped. There he was on the couch. Stillness. Dignity. Peace at last. I sank slowly to my knees and touched that poor wounded face. I folded his hands. Yes, he looked at peace. Happier than he had been... Oh, for 20 years or more. And I bent and kissed the pale, cold brow of, of this good man I had known. This lonely man, Mr. Kessler. Thank you for listening to the Riley and Kimmy Show's Radio Golden Age Tribute. Please visit our website for archived podcasts and social media links, rileyandkimmy.com.